We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. All right, here we go. Tony Holler, welcome to the program, mate. How are you? Glad to be here. Thanks for doing this. Listen, you're uh, one of those people that, as I've uh, publicly started to talk more about sprinting in swimming, kind of put myself out there. You're one of those people that everybody sends me a message to say, you got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy. A uh, bit of a legend in the track and field world, mate. Yeah. And in the last, gee, in the last 10 years, it spread to rugby. You know, I've, mm. I've consulted with England's national rugby team, uh, the New York Yankees, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and the National Hockey League. And probably my biggest impact now, well, the two is is uh, American football and uh, and lacrosse. So mm. it's I, I never dreamed that my ideas would have this. Uh, this crossover type effect. I've never hold, held a lacrosse stick in my life, mm. but I have talked to numerous top 20 lacrosse schools in the NCAA. So yeah, it's been a weird, strange ride. Yeah. And it kind of began, Tony, just correct me if I'm wrong here, but I was reading through your publications online. You got so much quality stuff that you put out there online too, which is awesome. But I was reading where it said, Basically, 1999 was when you committed to speed. What happened in that year? Well, I was, I'm a coach's kid. Uh, my dad coached uh, basketball at the high school and college level for 47 years. And mm -hmm. I was at firstborn. And, and so I just soaked up everything. I was that type of kid. You know, I was like a serious kid that wanted to hang with my dad and learn everything he knew. And so, uh, and so when I became a coach, I really became him. And I think that's, what most coaches do they they do things the way they were done to them and they just repeat this traditional bs that that has passed down through the ages and um and so at the age of 40 um i was still an old school coach uh mm. we bragged about outworking our opponents mm -hmm. um we we talked about how practice was not supposed to be fun you know like norman dale in the movie hoosiers said my praxis aren't created for your enjoyment and coaches everywhere. Like, yay, you know, that give them hell Norman. <laughs> um, and, and so I was that kind of coach, you know, practice was the miserable stuff that we had to go through in order to play in the glorious games. Um, and so I overworked my kids. Um, they were miserable in practice and, and somehow still competed hard in games. But in 99, a couple of things happened. But the big thing, I call it the four words that changed my life. My son, Alec, my oldest son, could dunk a basketball in the eighth grade. You know, mm. dunking a basketball is probably the ultimate form of athleticism. And uh, he told me, he said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to play baseball. I don't want to run track because track sucks. And I, I thought to myself, you know, there's too many athletes like my son um, that don't run on my team because... I overwork them or, or we run too many, too many laps, blah, blah, blah. And so, so I told him, I said, we're going to stop running. All we're going to do is sprint and jump. And he looked at me like I was lying. I said, no, no, my teams for the rest of my life will never run a lap in practice. Now I'm mm -hmm. talking about my sprinters, the 400 and down, obviously mm -hmm. guys that run the mile, the half mile, the two mile, they're off on their own. Uh, but for, 
14 of our 18 events, we are not going to run a lap. And so uh, I thought I was selling out, but it was strategic because I was selling out so that I would get athletes to want to run on my team. And I thought that no matter how poorly trained we were, that because I had better athletes than other schools, that we would beat them. And I was right. But what I didn't understand would happen is this. All my guys got faster. Mm. We started performing in practice, started recording times. I call it record, rank, and publish, the food of cats. And because we started doing that, I saw the growth. And most coaches to this day don't think you can improve speed. They think it's purely genetic. And so we were improving speed. And to my surprise, even in the longest sprint, the 400 meters, we be, we still just killed people. We were really good, even though I thought we were criminally undertrained. And so basically, I've been doing this for nearly 25 years now. I started writing about about 10 years ago. And, uh, and now it's kind of a worldwide weird thing. Yeah, it, it is a worldwide thing, man. And, and a lot of what you're saying has so much relevance. I mean, I can't even describe to you how much relevance it has to what I've been trying to do in swimming. And I think where swimming is ultimately headed, but I still I feel like we're 20 years behind where you are and what, what you're talking about. Like 1999 for you right now is, is us in 2023 in swimming. I feel like that's where we're at now. There are certainly people talking about this and there are people running fast. I mean, swimming fast as they were people running fast back then. But, but we're not conceptualizing this into a point where it's put into programs. Here's the biggest misconception, Tony, is, is in swimming, is that you, can't, you, you have to create an aerobic base. That's the, that's the first thing. You have to create an aerobic base. And you can't swim fast and you can't train fast with kids that are 18 and under, right? Like So you, we're talking about high school age kids. You have to create an aerobic base and you can't swim fast in practice. Why is that a misconception? Is it, is it the same in track? It absolutely is the same in track. <clears throat> the, the, you know, I've been fascinated with pyramids, you know, ever since John Wooden's uh, pyramid of success back in the seventies and, and the pyramid of general athletics in, in all sports is like a, <clears throat> this huge base of mm -hmm. slow stuff. Right. Of aerobic conditioning, hard work, miserable work, work that does not look like performance. And and to this day, 90 percent of all college track coaches treat their sprinters like cross country runners mm. in the fall. And maybe they're already close enough to their genetic ceiling that uh, that they don't realize the malpractice in that. But I, I criticize college coaches like crazy. and. You know, you would think college coaches are better than high school coaches, but I disagree. Almost mm -hmm. every college coach got their job because of their athletic resume. Mm -hmm. they, they couldn't have taught a chemistry class like I teach. You know, I'm a teacher and a coach, 43 years of it. Um, many of them were seven, six high jumpers or something, and that's why they got their job. They had this right. track and field name. So, yes, it happens. And, and I like to say that the Feed the Cats base is actually rest, recovery, and sleep. And, and then the next level is literally doing performance-like practice. Mm. Um, I, I think that that when, when I say that my teams perform in practice, I look back in the 70s and I never performed in a practice, ever. It was just hard work. So I, you know, I, I have all these quips and things where I say performance is more important than hard work. And people... It's almost like I've stepped on their religious <laughs> feelings and beliefs mm. um, because we have grown up believing that hard work is the answer to everything. If you lose a game, you have to practice twice as long. If, if you have a bad performance, you have to put eight hours in the next day. And that detrains performance. You don't perform as well when you're tired and beat up. And so it's a mess. Now, I've been told by swimming coaches that, that I respect that, hey, swimming is different. Swimming, the buoyancy of swimming is, is an important thing. 
And we can practice much longer in the water because we're not beating up our ankles and our knees and our hips. And I say, well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And, and then the other thing is, is they say that running is natural, that, that uh, a life in air is the, what we evolved to do. And so to create a life in water, you have to spend a ton of time in the water. And so these are the things that swimming coaches tell me. But I just really believe if your work does not look like performance, you are detraining performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tony, I'll tell you this. Maybe you do have to spend some time in the water, but what you have to spend time doing is feeling and holding water. You have to be able to catch water. And that doesn't mean just swimming mindless laps with broken down technique and beat up athletes and people that don't want to be there and people who who you feel like they're getting punished, right? And all they're doing is slopping up and down the pool, right? So yeah, maybe you do have to spend some time in the pool, but it is in the sense of feeling and catching water with great technique at at speeds that you're going to be competing at, right? Like why wouldn't you train at the same speed that you want to race at, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? It totally makes sense. And and, and so many people that speak against these ideas are people who have never tried these ideas. They have just, I say the tradition is a tribe and we all want to be members of the tribe that's in our DNA, blah, blah, blah. And so we don't want to be that lone wolf that tries something new. But yet, if you've never tried that new thing, you, you, you really are not qualified to speak against it. So, so I, I really believe that, that that is correct. And then another thing that's correct is that if you do a performance level practice in any sport, it has to be choppy. There has to be extended recoveries or else you're going to be doing, as you called it, sloppy laps. Mm -hmm. and, right. and that's the exact same thing. There's this thing in education and coaching um, that if you don't keep kids busy, you're going to have management problems. And so, when you keep kids busy in a classroom, you give them quote unquote busy work mm. that they hate, but it keeps them busy and maybe keeps them quiet. But that's not performance. Just like if if you are sometimes I'm I'm told like, yeah, my football team runs sprints every day at the end of practice. I go, how many? They go like 20. I go, yeah, that's gassers. Uh, and how much time in between these sprints? There's all oh, about 20 seconds. I'm like, so you are running in a constant state of fatigue with mm -hmm. horrible technique. Uh, the kids are checked out. They hate it. Right. And and then, gosh, the thing I was just thinking about when you're talking, I think swimming is a lot like track and field. I've often said that that every school has a good track and field team. They just don't come out for your sport. I think it takes a really kind of a weird, special kid to want to be in the water as much as they have to be in the water. Mm -hmm. And I would, I wonder if we had this new approach, like a feed the cats approach to swimming, if we would start getting more athletes, kids that are, are strong and long and, and athletic type kids more interested in swimming. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I think the same things like we're, we're losing swimmers at a drastic rate at, at 15, 16, because we're training them all the same way. We're beating the hell out of them. And then we say, oh, they they lose interest at 15. They don't want to work hard. That's nonsense. We, we're beating the crap out of these athletes, right? A um, couple of things I just want to bring up here that, that, again, are prevalent in swimming that I want you to touch on. Um, one is if if you can run fast at 13, 14, 15, if you can, if you can, be identified as a sprinter at a, at a younger age. Why can't you identify and train at that speed in swimming? What, why is it that people think that you shouldn't specialize until you get to 18 years old or you, you go into college in, in swimming? It's this, we've got to, we've got to train them to do everything, right? Like, um, and you can't specialize just yet and you can't train fast. Well, why can't you swim fast? Why can't you train fast? People say that, it's because they're, they're not developed yet. They're too young. We shouldn't be hitting that system. It should just be aerobic-based training up until they develop to, 
you know, kind of adulthood, that kind of thing. What's the argument against this? Yeah. And, and, you know, I want to qualify this that I have no cred in swimming at all. I've never, I've never been a swim meet. No, no, don't, don't qualify it like that because you have all the cred in the world. What, what you're doing is you're coaching kids to, to go fast. And we're doing the same. I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to coach kids to go fast, whether it's on the track or in the pool. It's the same thing, Tony. I, I believe it is. And, and, and so I would argue the other way around. Just like I talk to cross-country coaches, endurance coaches, that way too often they get some kid that's never made a team in their life. You know, they're, they're five, six, 110 pounds. Um, they're, they went out for cross-country because they didn't want to play football. And, and so they send them out on, you know, to do 30 miles a week, 40 miles a week. Their mile, mileage is sloppy. Um, I say that you should never work on endurance until you've learned to run fast. Mm. And the return on investment running fast is incredible. Uh, I believe the speed is the tide that lifts all boats. That if if I can get a kid, a freshman cross-country runner, to go from 15 miles an hour to 18 miles an hour, I can do that with about 80 minutes of work per week. 80 minutes of time where the amount of work will be about six minutes mm. and create you can't sprint for 80 minutes mm. <laughs> when, when people think oh that's all he does is sprint we are at top speed like max speed sprinting about eight seconds per week but it's the most important potent magical eight seconds you could ever imagine right. because we are opening up the CNS. We are taking the governor off of the CNS. We are we are learning how to send lightning bolts of of energy to our our muscles that allows us to move quickly. So I would argue to a swim coach that no kid should ever be an endurance swimmer until they've been taught to be a fast swimmer. And if it's possible to do both, just like a cross country coach would do both. But you must prioritize the speed thing first because the return on investment is so big and the amount of time you have to spend is so small. And then you would do far less than normal swim people do. But the, the ability to swim fast will pay off down the line. I just think it's backwards to start mm -hmm. off as an endurance swimmer and then somehow morph into a, a fast swimmer yeah tell me this too um you know one of the things that i like to do with my athletes is i wanted them to walk off the pool deck wanting to come back the next day right so what i would always do is i would always build my workouts in a way so that they were swimming their fastest towards the end of the workout because i wanted that memory to be there if i was trying to get them to swim really fast early in the practice and then all of a sudden everything else regressed and they would just beat down Generally, they'd walk off disappointed, unhappy, wouldn't want to run back to practice the next day. So I kind of flipped it on its head and said, well, I'm going to build the practice so that in a way I can get the best quality out of them. And maybe in swimming, you know, sometimes we use equipment to kind of aid them, like a, like flippers or fins, we call it, um, and paddles, which can hold more water. So you may add equipment to make them feel even faster. But we would do that at the end. And I found that my athletes were, were going back and recovering the way they want, should, right? They were eating and sleeping properly. And then they were running back to practice because they couldn't wait to get back to practice, you know? That's one of my 10 pillars. Matter of fact, it's the 10th of 10 pillars of Feed the Cats. And that is that um, despite all the jerk older people in the world saying kids these days and all this, um, that's not my experience in 43 years of education. Kids are better today than they've ever been. I, I love kids today. Mm -hmm. I don't really like the adults of today, but mm -hmm. I love the kids of today. And I say that kids are really good at what they like and they're obsessed with what they love. All of them across the board. And you'll never be very good at something if you don't like it. And I think that's kind of the forgotten part in education where somehow high school kids in America say, I hate school and we're okay with that. Or, or coaches are like, uh, kids hate practice and they're like, 
I'm okay with that because this is we're in the business to win. We're not mm -hmm. trying to make kids happy. But I have found that that if you send kids home with a little gas in their tank, which is kind of blasphemous from old school perspectives, where we try to break down barriers and push them further than they thought they were capable of doing. There's like posters out there that say uh, that great athletes find a way to compete when their tank is empty. That's that's what we've grown up with. That's the religion of sport. Right. But if we could create a more enjoyable practice, a practice where you're not spent, a practice where you like something, love something, and you can't wait to come back, where maybe after practice, a kid will say to the coach, I don't feel like we did enough. Right. You're like, that's exactly the way I want you to feel because mm -hmm. you're going to come back tomorrow, mm -hmm. want to get it done. And, you know, I think love makes you tough. I mean, people think, oh, love is soft or something. No. Uh, when, when a mother loves their kids, they'll fight for their kids. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, so I'm a big love guy, a big like practice guy. And I think what you describe is exactly a feed the cats approach. And I, I mean, I wish my kids, uh, my four kids who were all, I believe all four of them had the joy of sport stolen from them from bad coaches. Yeah. I wish they could have gone through. There's only one time to go through it. And I say that, you know, like, like history is written by the winners mm -hmm. uh, in sports. Uh, the narrative is written by the survivors and the 95% of the broken kids, miserable kids, kids that go home um, suffering from de like depression. I mean, like yeah. they have to be on medication because mm. of their coach and their sport we don't, you know, there are no books about those kids. We only hear about the national champions that spent eight hours a day in the pool, which yeah. may, maybe, maybe their freaky DNA allowed them to spend eight hours a day without getting broken. Yeah. Tony, I had uh, a profound experience um, and it was, it was a track and field experience actually. So I was training for the 2004 Olympics. One of my good friends, is a track athlete, uh, 400 meter runner. And he invited me out to do a week's training with him here in California, uh, with the legendary sprinter Maurice green. Um, and at the time I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I was on, on kind of a, a break between, um, work. And so I decided to come out here and, and spend a week with Maurice and, and himself and, and listen, it changed the way I thought about sprinting. It, cha it changed everything. Because what, what traditionally in, in swimming, just so you know, Tony, you, you swim nine to 10 practices a week, right? There's, there's no compromise on that. It's nine to 10 a week, and you're swimming a minimum hour and a half to two hours per workout, okay? That, that's just the way everybody's trained. That's the way everyone was trained, especially then. Maybe it's shifted a little bit now, but back, back 2000, 2003, that was the thing. I go to spend a week with Maurice Green, long story short here, and he's in the gym for an hour working, and then he goes out to the track. He spends about 30 minutes doing speed drills, and then all he's doing is a couple of fast sprints over the next hour, and that's that's the day's practice. And then he has 24 hours off, and he comes back, and he does something similar or training similar type way the next day, and he does that five days in a row. Saturday is an active recovery where they do something that suits them, right? For my guy, it was just a light beach run. For Maurice, it was a, a massage, some therapy, things like that. Sunday was a, a passive day, day off, right? But it was just five sessions a week where they were just working on the, the CNS, like you said. They're working on strength, power, development, and they're working on speed drills, no sloppy shit. There was no. There was. No, there wasn't a single lap around the uh, around the practice facility, right? It was everything that you talked about. And this happened to me in two, in two thousand three as a swimmer, and it had a profound effect on the way that I wanted to then go off and and coach athletes. Just for your background, two thousand six, I started coaching. Two thousand eight, my athlete won the Olympic gold medal in the fifty free. 2009 he broke the world record which still stands to this day in the 50 freestyle so in the 50 freestyle we swim for about 20 what he his, his world record is 20.91 seconds right so about 20 seconds 
in in the 100 freestyle the 100 events we swim for about 45 46 47 seconds around that so it's a it's like a 200 400 type similarity work but but that was the experience i had i just wanted to share that with you and that is a totally a feed the cats approach and not all elites have been trained like that way uh charlie francis definitely trained his guys like that and i would even say this that maurice was able to do that volume which that volume that you describe is about twice what I do with teenagers. Mm. So, so we're talking about uh, my track team, four-day work week. If we have two meets, that means we have two meets and two practices. Um, our practices are typically about an hour. And we are doing about two minutes of work in that 60-minute practice uh, because it requires so much recovery time mm -hmm. in order to ramp it up again. And before I forget, I, I think this is an important thing. Um, you were talking about sprinting and, and, and swimming. Uh, my good friend, Brian Kula, um, if you ever get a chance to talk to Brian, he's just brilliant. He is, he has trained Christian McCaffrey, uh, mm -hmm. arguably the best football player in the NFL right. uh, since he was 12. And he trains him like a track athlete, they do no endurance, none whatsoever. Everything they do is five seconds or less. Everything they do makes it would blow you away. But it takes great recovery in between those things. Mm. Um, and he amazingly, magically becomes fit without ever a focus of, on anything aerobic. Now, if you do like 50 high level five second exercises um, in a 75 minute period you are going to get aerobically fit but that's not it doesn't look like a jog you're not like running up and down stadium stairs so here's the story tony just i want to get to that story too but maybe tell the story but go back to eventually why how that happens how if you're swimming that if you're sprinting that much how does that affect the aerobic system all right just remember that if you know I say that, you know, I'm an old chemistry teacher and, and I say that the Krebs cycle is ongoing. It's 24 hours a day. We are aerobic creatures. Um, the aerobic focus means that we're going to go out and and maybe run six miles like the old boxers used to do, which I disagree mm. with that as well. Um, Muhammad Ali would have had faster hands if he would have sprint trained instead of trained on roads. Mm. Um, so so. It doesn't make sense because it's not in the SNC textbooks. The SNC textbooks describe aerobic conditioning and building that big aerobic base. And that's what these people just defend for the rest of their life. Right. And but coaches who have experimented with with kids, and I think great coaches do experiment because the, the best ways to train have not yet been created. You know, I, I truly believe that. Um, but what happens is if, if you work for an hour and you're doing high level anaerobic stuff, that's maybe pushing your heart rate up to 190, 200, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, even after a 90 second recovery, your heart rate's still up there. Mm -hmm. So, so instead of this, this steady state heart rate at 140 or something, you have this Dow Jones type of, of, of heart rate, you know, mm -hmm. 190 down to 120 back to 190 back which is pretty much what performance looks like anyway um unless you're a distance runner you know then then you need some steady state aerobic action right uh, I, I do not speak against aerobic work for guys that run three mile races or two mile races but but if you are a high performance speed athlete uh which most athletes are. Most sports are not endurance sports. Uh, you need to train. I, I still go back to that thing. If it doesn't look like performance, it will detrain performance. And that's radical. That's crazy talk. And and people, you know, want to punch me when I say it. <laughs> I, I keep saying it though, because I just really believe it's true. And and I was asked actually in uh last night, I was talking to arguably the best lacrosse player in the world. And he graduated from Princeton, all-time leading scorer at Princeton. And Michael Sowers asked me, he said, he said, Coach, how is it 
that I can be in shape for a 60 minute lacrosse game without doing 60 minute sustained work. You know, mm. how, how does that, how can it work? Cause I told him the McCaffrey story and I said, you know, I'm not sure, but I'm sure it works. You know, like uh, Bill Maher, who I hate, but um, he, he used to say, you know, it, it may not be a fact, but I know it's true. It's kind of <laughs> like, and I believe that. It, it may not, you may not find it in research no. or in a right. textbook, but I know it's true. Uh, when McCaffrey trained this way, not one time working on endurance, I asked Brian Kula, did, did he have to do one of the dumb conditioning tests? And Kula said, yep, he did. I said, was there hell to pay? You know, because he hadn't trained for it. He goes, no, he won it. Oh, wow. He won the conditioning test. So is, I, I don't know why it works, but it does. And the term that Brian and I use for that is stacking anaerobic work. Tired of settling for less than the best with your team's dryland program? Swimstrong Dryland is the answer you've been looking for. With world-class dryland programming for every age group, customized to fit your team's needs, nutritional coaching and education centered on the latest evidence-based research, leadership training and character development to promote an athlete-driven culture, sports psychology education and mental skills training, coaches' corners to promote collaboration, data-driven performance analysis, and an unrivaled family of athletes, coaches, and teams, Fast Swimming starts here. Former swimmers looking for a way to give back to the sport in New York City? Reach out to Imagine Swimming. Since 2002, they've been the premier learn-to-swim school with international and American staff, including Olympic champions Anthony Irvin and Eric Vent. Imagine Swimming offers infant to adult classes, plus competitive team options, water polo, and an artistic swimming club coached by an Olympic silver medalist. With flagship locations across Manhattan and Brooklyn, Imagine is always looking for the next generation of swimmers to pass on their knowledge and passion for swimming. Yeah. Yeah, stacking anaerobic work. Yeah, and that's that's what I do. And and that's what I talk about. You know, we, we talk about building a base, right? And so in swimming, it's build this aerobic base. And so what I say is you build your base of speed around speed. If you want to swim fast, you, you train fast. And so in order to build this base, it's got to be built on speed endurance, not aerobic endurance, correct? 100% correct. There's, yeah, it, it just... I call I call the people who believe in sw swimming slow or running slow and then somehow magically getting fast. I say they're they're planting beans and trying to grow corn. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. And and to them, I don't know if they even think about it because as humans, we just kind of repeat what we've done and what we were told. Right. I, mean, I read one time where we spent our first thirty years trying to figure things out. And the rest of our life defending it, right? And let's get scientific. Uh, let's get scientific for a second. So, uh, for those people that want to hit the science a little bit more, so um, you you talk here in in your notes where it says, you know, the the two hundred is is similar to the fifty freestyle, which is which is a, the the shortest speed event in the pool, right? And then the four hundred is is relative to the hundred in in swimming. So you talk about. Uh, the the 50 being 50% phosphate, 50% lactate, the 100 being around 30% phosphate, 70% lactate. So that's the 200 and the 400 in track. What, is, what does that mean exactly? Well, in, in a running sense, uh, now you say the 400 meters, let me make sure I'm correct. The 400 meters in track and field is similar to the 100 meters in swimming, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, the 400 stuff, the people who buy into my stuff, so we'll sometimes plug it all in and just, I, I call it drinking the Kool-Aid. They're just taking a leap of faith and they'll report back to me. They didn't really believe that we can develop good 400 runners without ever running a 400 or a mm -hmm. 600. Um, the furthest we ever run in practice is 200 meters ever. Well, in the 400, um, the first, uh, you know, the first 10 to to 10 to 12 seconds is basically like the kindling that's laying around in your cells. Uh, we all have readily available ATPs in our muscle cells and we can sprint for a trained sprinter can sprint 10 to 12 seconds without going into glycolysis. Mm -hmm. um, 
Now, if you're an untrained sprinter, like I am presently, because I run too many miles uh, because I'm 64, um, but I should have been a sprinter. I just made huge mistakes. Um, but anyway, um, to an untrained sprinter, you may only have four or five seconds of readily available phosphate, which refers to ATPs. ATPs, that's the energy currency of the cells. No matter what we eat, it all eventually becomes ATP. And that's what's burned outside the mitochondria or inside the mitochondria. So what happens when you are sprinting the 400, you run out of readily available ATPs. But your demands are so damn high that you cannot wait for the tick-tock, tick-tock of the Krebs cycle, the citric mm. acid cycle. You just cannot wait for that aerobic, slow, methodical, uh, even though that's where we live. But with we're sprinting, you run out of ATPs and you don't have time to send the broken down ATPs into the mitochondria and go through the Krebs cycle. So we go through glycolysis, which is amazing stuff. And glycolysis is, is where we are going to burn um, those remaining um, uh, fragments of ATPs. We're going to burn those and get energy without oxygen. And it's, mm. it's fantastic. Uh, but there's hell to pay. There's a poisonous byproduct, and that poison poisonous byproduct is lactic acid, which turns into lactate. Lactate's measurable, so a lot of times you hear about lactate being, you know, high lactate levels, but lactate doesn't hurt us. It is the hydrogen ions that come out of the lactic acid that hurt us. That's what gives us the blurry vision, uh, the nausea. Um, the burning in the legs. It's not the mm. lactate that does that, but lactate's measurable. And those hydrogen ions, it really is a horrible byproduct. And once your acidic levels get high enough, glycolysis is literally shut down. And glycolytic shutdown is absolutely awful. You won't be able to move. Um, so what we have to do is train our 400 meter runners to deal with that acidosis, to deal with those high lactate levels. And the way we do that, this may be interesting to you, is like our favorite workout is a workout where we do three 200s spiked up fast with only four minutes rest, actually three to four minutes, four minutes early in the year, three minutes later in the year. And we try to go as fast as we can. We retime it uh, electronically. We, uh, uh, we call it our four by four predictor um, where we can actually take the numbers and predict what guys are going to run in the 400. And what happens is the first one, um, everybody's pretty good. You know, they're, they got a little bit of acidic stuff going on. Mm. And they're pretty good. The second one, is hell, you know, I mean, they, they run just as fast, but, but they don't look right at the end. Mm -hmm. And, and then we run the third one and they end up like in a fetal position. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I'd say 10% of our guys throw up because the, by purging acid from your stomach, it quickly uh, within 10 minutes, you're not acidic anymore. So that's just a defense mechanism. So, if I was training, coming back to swimming uh, for the 100 meters, we probably would never run and never swim 100 meters. Right, right. We would swim 50 meters at race pace right. with incomplete rest. And, you know, the total amount of work would be 150 meters, but we would be, it would look like performance. and. Right it would be absolutely hell. Some, some of the kids would say, can we go back to the two hour practices where we just swam slow? Because that doesn't hurt much. This will hurt, but this will improve performance. I hope I didn't get too much in the weeds. Man, you're speaking my language. <laughs> you, you have no idea. Like I've been, I've been coaching this way for a while. And I think again, people in the swimming world are starting to catch on to this. 
Hey guys, I've been trialling some revolutionary new swim tech and now you can get your hands on it too. This is EO Swim Better, a swimming evolution in the palm of your hands. Improve your technique with EO Swim Better. Analyze your stroke technique with EO's Swim Better handset. Go to eolab.com, use code BRETT at checkout and save 10%. They don't fully understand the, the the why behind what you just talked about and it makes perfect sense the way you explained it um for me i kind of lived it right like so I, I was a sprinter i swam in the olympic final um it, it was it was my livelihood i i was dealing and i tell people this all the time my life consisted of, of, of trying to find hundreds of seconds that's what i was dealing with. i wasn't dealing with a second two second three second margin i was dealing with hundreds of seconds so i swam professionally for Australia for six years, I traveled the world looking for a hundredth here, a hundredth there type situation. And so then I had to had to figure that out in my in my training. Now back then I wasn't coached necessarily that way, even though I had good coaches. It just it just wasn't part of swimming to understand that. Now as I've gone into coaching, I I I realized that because I felt it. I knew it. I was it made sense to me. It's like that doesn't feel right. I didn't know the science that you just talked about. I just knew I had lactate coming out of my eyeballs. I was throwing up. I was, I was having those responses. But, but then I, I knew what it felt like to, to swim like that, to, to train like that. I knew what needed to happen to recover after that. So then I started to apply that to my training and have success. But um, the more I've dug into this and, and talking to people like you who have an, an enormous background and, and can understand the science, it just makes perfect sense to me. And I love the way that you explained that there. A lot of people have questions about this then. So, okay, okay. so you, you train 350s, 150 meters, you'll you work at that, that pace, that speed, that intensity. How many times a week would you do that then? I'm glad you asked that because in my mind, I was like, hey, I really didn't say an important thing is you can't do that every day. Right. You can't do that every day. Mm -hmm. I believe you can go we call them lactate workouts. I think maximum is twice a week, maximum, oh. but I would prefer once a week. Um, I, uh, I, I do not train my sprinters to sprint further. All we care about is pure speed in the off season, pure speed, explosiveness, um, um, you know, plyometrics, that type of stuff. Um, but about four weeks before our first meet, I know that I have to get our kids ready to sprint further. So we introduce one lactate workout a week, mm. four weeks before the season. And we typically go to a, a track meet where there's 30 teams and we will place first or second in the four by four, four guys run the 400. Mm. And so, so I know it works. I know it works. It, you say, wait a minute, you're going to do three or four lactate workouts where you're never going to run a 400 and you expect your guys in the first meet to run well in the 400. And I go, yeah. And it happens. And then I heard Dan path, um, the, the famous professional track coach saying a podcast a few years ago that he didn't think that you need to really work on the lactate system until about a month before the first time you need it. And so, you know, like, I think I already got there, but to hear somebody else say it, it was yeah. like, you know, confirm my bias a little bit. And, and the other thing is, as you explained, it's not pleasant. I apologize to my athletes because I want them to love our sport. I, I'll tell them, I'll say, this is going to suck today. I wish we didn't have to do this. And then I coach, what is it? I go, God, we got, we got to run three 200s really fast. Mm. Mm. And they go, that's easy. I go, no, it's, you, you'll understand. Right. <laughs> it, it, it really is hard. And by the way, here's another thing. This is, this is shameless, but we always take the next day off. Yeah. We, we, we don't even come to practice, no active mm. recovery. And, and so as my guys are in the fetal position, quivering and stuff, and it, it's, it's damn near abusive what mm. they go through right. in order to sprint further. Right. I, I will go and kneel next to them and pat them on the back and say, hey, 
you get to go home and take a nap tomorrow after mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll try to have a smile or something. But, right. but I just yeah. don't you can stack that stuff. No, I think I think that's the thing that people are missing too. I think I think they think because I'm saying people need to sprint more and we need to have a sprint focus, they think I'm taking the endurance, you know, old school, uh, you know, build approach of the more is better, right? Like mass mass mass. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we can sprint with 14, 15, 12, 13 year olds. They can sprint, but they also need to recover and they also need to do technical work. They need to do skill development. And that that doesn't come at the cost of beating the crap out of them all the time, right? And I think that's where we get lost here is like, yes, I'm saying kids can swim fast. They can train fast. But that's not the old school approach of doing it 10 times a week and doing it for two hours straight. I'm not saying that. That's the thing that they get all mixed up about, you know? Yeah, and we go back to that thing about, you know, one of the best ways people say, how can you be in shape in the fourth quarter of a football game if you don't do any conditioning? I'm like, well, if you're really healthy and fast and you love every day of your football experience, you're going to be just fine in the fourth quarter, just mm-hmm. fine. And you know, you're not going to be banged up. You're not going to be tired. You're not going to hate things, man. And, and I think we're just talking the same language here that, that we want kids maybe first of all, to love swimming and love training. Yes. If we can get them there, what I have found is that kids that fall in love with a sport will come to you and say, what should I be eating? Yes. How much should I be sleeping? Yes. I really want to be good at this sport. Instead of us building their house for them, we teach them to build their own house. And it's not going to happen without that love, like um, can't wait for tomorrow type of feeling. Tony, you're, this is brilliant, man. I can't, I can't thank you enough for uh, how much I'm enjoying this conversation. I, I have to run in, in a second. I'm sure you do too. And, and, I, and I love this. I would love to do more of this with you. I think you're brilliant. You're, you're, you're an elite, elite, elite in terms of what we're talking about here. Um, one last thing I do want to touch on. I, have an, I had an athlete or I have an athlete who is, um, he has swum the most uh, times under 21 seconds. So in, in comparison in track and field, I might say it's like this, you know, somebody that's run under 10 seconds for a hundred, right? My athlete has swum under 21 seconds, uh, under um, 22 seconds, sorry. So he, some, he swum 21 seconds in the 50, a hundred times. And the next person close, uh, closest to him in the world is around 60. So he, he's, he's way ahead of anyone else in the world. And what we started to do about five years ago after the um, after the Rio Olympics is we just started to go fast all the time and we started to race all the time. And we, we, we cut out periodization completely. It was just, let's go fast. Let's train to improve, but let's make sure that we're, we're getting off the blocks regularly and going fast. And this guy went from about 20 times under 22 to a hundred times in five years. He was just like going fast all the time and people couldn't understand it. They're like, is he taking drugs? Is he this? Is he that? It's like, no, we cut out periodization. And I heard you talk about this the other day. And this is the kind of the last thing I want to leave people with is like, talk to me about this concept. Well, it goes back to if it doesn't look like performance, then you're detraining performance. And, and so you know, in, in a way, people could argue, well, you do have periodization. You have, you know, like I, I don't mess with my guys during the fall because I want them all to play another sport. Uh, in the winter, we do all of that pure speed and power stuff. Mm-hmm. And then and then the season, we have really two goals, uh, three goals. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of weird. But one is um, uh, I don't like to use the word endurance. So I just say sprint further. So things are a little different when you start trying to sprint further. We also have a goal of improving our sprint capacity. Mm-hmm. Basically to me means that, that we might develop some guys that could run four races, four great races in one meet. And we're not really worried about that during the winter. We're only worried about that in, in, in the season. And then the third thing is the most important while we stay mentally and physically healthy. Right. So, I mean, maybe the most important thing is that third one. So we go from pure speed and power 
you know, like that's all we care about Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden now we speed and power is like fourth on the list because we have to sprint further. We have to sprint more often and we have to stay healthy mentally and physically. And so, so in a way, in season is different than the winter and the winter is different than the fall when my most of my guys are playing football running cross country um so but the old school periodization tons of base Mm. building tons of sloppy dead tired miserable work um weight room sessions that are really long um and and then and then we're going to do uh whittle that down some and, you know, just, you know, the long to short stuff, I know you're mm. very aware of all that. And right. I just reject it. You know, it's, right. it's, and I, I guarantee you, if, if you had a, a kid, you know, one of your own children um, that, that ran track and field, um, you would want them to run for me and not a traditional coach yeah. because they would come home happy. And I don't think kids' lives are long enough uh I have watched my own kids come home miserable and yeah. deep down they wanted to quit and that's unacceptable. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. And uh, just the way you put things is is so on point. Uh, I think if you moved into the swimming world, you'd have uh, a champion at the highest <laughs> level within a couple of months, my friend, because you, you would crush people in terms of what you're doing, how you do it. Everything you talked about relates hundred percent, by the way. So if you, if you think, I don't know what this means to swimming, everything you said is hundred percent spot on when it comes to training sprinters, uh, almost dead on. So it's, it's just like, uh, you get it completely. Uh, amazing. I, I'm just, I'm still going through all your material here and I, and I, I'm just scratching the surface. So, where can people find you and more about you? I am um, I am personally on Twitter. Twitter changed my life about 10 years ago. Uh, it was a way for me to create a network of coaches that would read my propaganda. Um, my, my son quit a, a corporate job to become a content person. Uh, and he now runs my Instagram, my TikTok, my threads. And then I have a huge YouTube presence now. And then all of my, uh, I have like 16 courses on CoachTube, uh, which is just a f- fantastic place. Um, all that's on CoachTube. So if you just Google my name, it's mm. one of those things where um, it's, I yeah, it, I'm maybe too much out there right now, but uh, it keeps me busy as a retired chemistry teacher. Yeah. Uh, are you selling Feed the Cats t-shirts or sweatshirts or anything? Absolutely. Uh, at the okay. top of my um, um, at the top of my Twitter feed, mm. I, I have this shirt, the Feed the Cat mm. shirt. I also have a Rest Recover Sleep that has a, uh, a dopamine molecule in the middle, sunshine and moon. Meaning Beautiful. you need to get out in the sun. You need to sleep. Dopamine gives you reckless confidence, and you allow your uh, it gives you a chance to move your arms and legs really fast. So dopamine is really important. Yeah. Well, you're gonna sell a few more shirts today. I'm gonna to, I'm gonna get a couple. And uh, and I highly recommend other people get out there and and buy some of your uh, material. It is just so high quality and and it relates so well to swimming. Like I said, thanks for doing this today, mate. This has been awesome. And and maybe down the track we can do it again sometime. Okay. I, w- I would love to do it again. I, you got me excited. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks, Brett. Bye.